from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. So I've got a fun one for you because my next guest is actually one of my good friends. He also escaped a communist state to move to the free state of Florida. My buddy Josh Hammer, he's the opinion editor of Newsweek. He also has a podcast as well uh, called The Josh Hammer Show uh, because his name is Josh Hammer. So obviously that makes a lot of sense. But he's all around super smart guy. He's he's also does a bunch of other stuff. Research fellow with the Edmund Burke Foundation, you know, counsel and policy advisor at the Internet Accountability Project. He has done you know a ton of other things. He's a frequent pundit and essayist on political, legal, and cultural issues. He's a constitutional attorney by training as well. But he's just all around a good dude, a really really smart guy as well. I was on a panel with him recently. I was just so impressed by what he was saying, and I thought to myself. Why not have him on the show, right? Why not have my friend who's super smart on the show to talk about a lot of the things we're facing as a country? Primarily, I want to get to the bottom of, does the rule of law still exist in America? I mean, we've really seen the left try to chip away with it, even with that Supreme Court leak. We saw, I mean, you've got people in the White House, like the White House spokesperson, Karine Jean-Pierre, basically sanctioning these protests that we've seen in the wake of Brett Kavanaugh literally having an assassination attempt on his life. Uh, he was run out of Morton's when he was just trying to have dinner. When asked about it, she said, this is what democracy is, right? So these people want it. It's being sanctioned at the top. So we're going to talk about the breakdown of rule of law in America. And also, is this the end of the road? For Joe Biden, I mean, you've got even the New York Times is now piling on Joe Biden, bringing attention to what we all know, that the guy is old, no longer mentally sharp, losing it up there in his head. So we're going to get into all of this with my buddy Josh Hammer. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> 
excited about Josh Hammer because we are good friends. We are part of a Florida coalition of people who left their commie states and cities to move to free Florida. So, Josh, it's good to have you on, my friend. Lisa, you know, funny enough, I was actually just Googling today to see how close we live. I think it's about a half mile. So we're <laughs> separated by a half mile, but we are both part of the, of the freedom movement. So it's great to be with you. No, and you're awesome. And we've gotten to be really good friends, which has been one of the really cool things about moving here is just being around so many like-minded conservatives who recognize what a clown world that we're living in today. So, uh, you know, together we fight. And we have we have such amazing comrades in arms down here, too. I mean, it's it's really become quite the scene. I mean, I kind of feel like we live in the epicenter of the fight that is now and the fight that is to come. So it's 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 been great. It's also, you know, it's I don't know about you right now. I'm looking outside my window and it is so sunny and beautiful. It's just hard to be upset these days, honestly, even despite everything going on in Washington. I feel like looking out this window. Well, it's like an oasis away from all the craziness. But for those at home, Josh is a, has got a lot of fortitude because back in the day, during the height of all the COVID craziness, when everyone was essentially saying if you didn't get vaccinated, you wanted to kill your grandmother, or when everyone still believed that the vaccine stopped the spread or, or the jab, I, I think this was like back, you know, this was last year. I was looking to publish my op-ed about not getting vaccinated. And I sent it to the New York Times. I sent it to the Washington Post. I sent it to the Wall Street Journal. No, no, no. And the Washington Post told me to stay safe with obviously the implication that somehow I was going to die as a result of not being vaccinated. I have, have had it twice, still alive. But Josh had the guts to publish it. And at the time, that was extremely brave. And, and Josh, isn't it sort of ironic that everything I wrote and everything you published has turned out to be true? <laughs> yeah. No, look, I, at least I remember when you and I kind of got celebratory drinks a few days after that op-ed was published and we were both basically toasting to the fact that neither of us seemed to have been immediately canceled from that mutual decision. But everything that you've said has obviously been proven correct and then some. I still can't get over. I mean, the whole world seemed to have turned on a switch around like mid to late February. So I guess now it's like four to four and a half months ago. It seems like around like the span of, I don't know, February twenty. Fourth, whatever it was, it was around, honestly around the time that Russia went into Ukraine. It was like right, right around that time, the Democratic Party in particular decided that no, we were done. At this point, we were no longer going to enforce stuff. And it was so transparently a play where they were looking at the polling numbers this fall. They realized that with inflation approaching four-decade high, you know, record-breaking numbers, people didn't want to be locked down, masked up, and all that. But the fact that they were able to pivot so quickly and turn on a dime like that really does prove how prescient the skeptics were all along. And, you know, obviously Florida as a state really led the way. So, you know, you and I have really seen that firsthand as well. Well, it looks like now they're trying to bring up an election variant just in time for November, which I I assume there's going to be a push towards uh, in mail and ballot uh, balloting even further. But, yeah, since we're on COVID, COVID really gave rise to this authoritarianism, not just in the United States, but really around the world where, the big got big, bigger, you know, the, the little got subjugated by big government, big business, big, big, big. You know, mom and pop stores were shut down. Walmart was fine. And the next round and what we're really seeing now is doing this under the guise of climate change. Right. Where, you know, you look at what's happening in Sri Lanka. You look at what's happening with the Dutch farmers, even in our own country of not producing, you know, oil and gas and, and not doing domestic production here in the United States really under the guise of, you know, some climate ruse. Look, I mean, it was, you know, it was Ron Emanuel back when he was chief of staff to President Barack Obama, where he famously said that 
the progressive mantra is to never let a good crisis go to waste. You know, he said you never want a good crisis to go to waste. And if there is one axiom, if there is one saying, one phrase that COVID really proved to be truer than I think anyone could have ever in their right minds imagined it to be, it is that phrase. I mean, what we saw for a year and a half, two years was just the Rom Rom Emanuelization of the world. And, you know, I mean, never let a, a progressive or a leftist kind of scratch that totalitarian itch because you never know what's going to happen next or where it, subs- where it will subsequently lead, obviously, historically speaking, leftist or authoritarianism, you know, thinking of things like Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin has led to some Google eyes in a pretty, pretty freaking dark places. But the entire climate change alarmism agenda is to a T exactly that. I mean, to a T, it is literally seizing onto an ideologically driven end goal, you know, largely to appease the greedy radicals, kind of the anti-oil, anti-natural gas nutjobs who dis- disproportionately populate their donor base and their grassroots activist base. And they are making us try to care about their cartoonish agenda. And you're seeing that in Sri Lanka, like you said, this Dutch story I was reading up on today, actually, really remarkable. I give the farmers a lot of credit there, frankly, for the civil disobedience and what they're actually doing. But climate change in particular, okay, climate change probably more than any issue that I can think of. I, I think you're right, Lisa. I think it really does personify this Rahm Emanuel never let a good crisis go to waste mentality because you know, you know, look, I am not an expert on, 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 on climate change. It's not really an issue that I frequently write about, to be honest with you. I'm, I, I'm not a scientist, whatever. Although I should note that, you know, Katanji Brown-Jackson says that she's not a biologist. So, I, I mean, I'm not sure what, you, what, you, what credentials you need to opine on these issues these days. But the fact that the world is going to implode in the near to medium term future if we don't take drastic economy crushing action today is just utterly absurd. And, you know, good for the people for standing up in the Netherlands and down in Sri Lanka. But see, I, I think it's all uh, BS, right? So you look, drought-related deaths are down 99% over the last 100 years. We've actually reduced emissions because of things like natural gas. So I, I think it's, it's it's not even just not letting a, a, a crisis go to waste. It's creating a crisis uh, to be able to subjugate citizens and to, you know, to assert that government control. But but. Will they ever realize that this doesn't work? You know, when you implement communism, it doesn't work. I mean, again, you know, look at Sri Lanka, right? So they they basically pushed this climate agenda. Uh, let me see this. I've got the back. There was a chemical fertilizer ban in 2021 as part of this climate initiative. If you inflation is now as of last month at 54.6 percent, crop production decreased in half between 21 to 2022, and the environment or, or no, and, and the now. The prime minister has basically recently said that uh, the economy has completely collapsed. He was forced out of his position. They took over his private residence and set it on fire. So, I mean, I guess will they never realize that this communism stuff never seems to work? (laughs) Well, it depends what we mean by doesn't work. I mean, to the extent that it doesn't work. For the nation state, for the people, it doesn't work to boost GDP. It doesn't work to rise wages in, 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 in you know, in inflation-adjusted terms. It doesn't work to increase standards of living. It doesn't work to increase anyone's spiritual or transcendental purpose in life or anything like that. I'm not sure if they know that. I also know that they don't care about that because what leftist politics in the 21st century has increasingly boiled down to, from my perspective is a pure, spiteful approach to trying to subjugate their ideological foes and trying to boost themselves until the top of the, of the social and economic pyramid. 
And, you know, now that I'm kind of thinking this through in real time, I mean, I think 21st century politics really encapsulates that most clearly. COVID really was nothing if not an exercise in trying to subjugate those who dissented from the from the group think those who, who subscribed like you and i to wrong think they want to subjugate us and kind of boost themselves and they really kind of just conveniently used the vac stuff the you know the mass mandates that was really all kind of a ruse it was an instrumental means towards that end of boosting themselves and trying to subjugate the blue collar folks who couldn't go into work while the laptop professional managerial upper west side new york times reading class could just kind of stay at home but, you know, really back in the day, obviously, I mentioned Mao and Stalin. If you go back to the worst examples of leftist authoritarianism, that's exactly what they did, right, is they, they literally took an approach to punishing their enemies in Soviet Union that meant sending them to the gulags. And then, obviously, you know, for the well-connected Politburo, leftist, Marxist, Leninists in Moscow, they were okay. So... That's what's happening really with the climate change stuff, right? I mean, like the laptop class, the upper elites who subscribe to liberal social values, who can jet that off to Davos for the World Economic Forum, they're going to be fine. They're hypocrites because they're jetting off to Davos and their private planes, obviously, but they're going to be economically speaking fine to the extent that the lower and middle income deplorables down in Missouri or Arkansas are not fine. They don't care. They truly legitimately do not care. And it, it, it's harsh to say that, but I think it happens to be true. No, I, I think that's the point. I mean, I mean, we saw during COVID the rules for the but not for me, right? I mean, you saw B- Obama saying, hey, you need to stay at home, wear your mask, shut up. And then he goes and throws a massive rager in Martha's Vineyard for hundreds of people partying without masks, just enjoying their little lives or or people not being able to go and have funerals for their loved ones or, or even go say goodbye to a loved one in hospitals but then you know for george floyd massive funeral you know all these celebrities right so just the rules for the not for me that's the point to to your point but i I wanted to get on this other thing so you you look at the overturning of roe versus wade so the biden administration is now saying they're issuing guidance to hospitals saying that they must provide abortions if the mother's life is at risk saying that federal law supersedes the states on this issue uh does it so the short answer is no the, I mean, that's the, that's, that's, that's the entire point of the Supreme Court rule and the entire point of the legal problem that was Roe versus Wade. Obviously, the paramount problem with Roe versus Wade was the moral evil that it promulgated and constitutionalized and kind of put into a national landscape. But the legal problem was that it arrogated power to an unelected nine lawyer body where that power simply never belonged. So, you know, all the all the Dobbs case does it overturns Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus uh, Casey. It's its successor 19 years later. All the Dobbs case does is restore it to the people. That's that's literally the holding of the case. I mean, you know, when I your first year of law school, you learned about like, what is the holding? And it's like it's like what is the central proposition that the case stands for? Well, the whole thing here is that's up to the states. So to the extent that the federal government is saying that, no, actually, it's not up to the states. It's up to us. That is wrong, and that is a willful, deliberate distortion of what the court actually said. It is a willful and disingenuous misreading of the Dobbs majority opinion. The slightly longer and more lawyerly answer would be that the, the hook that they're probably doing, that the Biden administration and their Department of HHS, Health and Human Services in particular, is probably doing – is they are probably trying to threaten the withholding of federal subsidization dollars of Medicare, Medicaid funding, things like that, to various hospitals that do do not get in line with what they say about XYZ policies. 
so that that could be abortion. It, you know, it, it could also refer to kind of transgender surgery, right? I mean, threatening to withhold federal dollars is a you know is a fairly old tool. I've actually encouraged Republican administrations in, in previous columns to kind of do the same thing to pursue. Their objective, there's a 1987 uh, or 88, there's a Supreme Court case called South Dakota versus Dole, where the court basically signed off on allowing this tactic when it came to raising the national drinking age to 21 years old. So there is some Supreme Court precedent, but, uh, you know, the devil's always in the details here. But to the extent that the, that, that the administration is just flatly saying, like, no, the states can't decide, you have to do this, that's, that's legally stupid, for lack of a better word. That is simply not what the court said in the Dobbs case. Quick commercial break. Back with Josh Hammer. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Brett Kavanaugh, there is an actual assassination attempt on his life. We also have the White House spokesperson, Corrine Jean-Pierre, when asked about it, said this is what democracy is. So to your point, I mean, this mob rule is being sanctioned at the I mean, they, they essentially use these people as their street fighters, more or less. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know what it reminds me of, actually? It, so 
it's kind of it's kind of an obscure analogy, but I think it kind of holds. So Hezbollah, which is an Iran-funded Shiite militia that's predominantly based in in Lebanon, they basically control Lebanon right now. But they're they're actually a sprawling apparatus on the Western Hemisphere. Hezbollah is actually kind of in cahoots with the Mexican cartels along our southern border as well. So Hezbollah has a strong presence, actually, in Europe. They have a very active network there. And, you know, the, the Euros, the Europeans for years and years used to tote this ridiculous line where they would say that, well, in our country, we're banning Hezbollah's military wing, but their political wing is, is kosher. It's fine. It was actually Rick Grinnell, um, who under President Trump was the U.S. ambassador to Germany. He finally got Germany and by extension Europe to get rid of this lie. Anyway, that's a roundabout way of saying that is basically to me what's happening here in the Democratic Party. They're street thugs. They're Antifa, Black Lives Matter thugs, people that kind of took to the streets you know, after the death of uh, the, the, the great martyr, St. George Floyd, back in 2020, and they burned down streets across the country for months on end, committed literally billions of dollars in insurance claims and property damage and vandalism. Those are the shock troops. Those are the on-the-ground military wing of the Democratic Party, but they are part of that Democratic Party, and they will not be called off anytime soon. Chastity Buttigieg is literally he's showing that to be the case in real time. It's really scary stuff, honestly. Well, I, I mean, remember during the Derek Chauvin trial, you had Maxine Waters out there basically encouraging people to get, go, you know, go to the streets, you know, essentially trying to put pressure on the jury uh, to get the outcome that they wanted. So, But that sort of leads me to this broader question of, does the rule of law exist, still exist in America? Yeah, man, that's kind of the million dollar question now, isn't it? Look, I mean, after things like what happened to Peter Navarro, right, where, where Peter Navarro, a former very high ranking Trump, Trump official, is handcuffed. He is beaten to the floor of his house. You know, James O'Keefe, obviously, the head of Project Veritas last October or November, had a 6 a.m. FBI raid. He's a battering ram to bash his door down. He was in handcuffs on the floor of his own house for the crime of committing journalism, literally just for the crime of committing journalism. Nothing, nothing more, nothing less than that. You know, when folks like my friend John Eastman, who, you know, was a who, of course, is a brilliant constitutional scholar and has been for years. And, you know, he, of course, was a Trump lawyer in that tumultuous aftermath of the 2020 election when he is, you know, his phone is seized and the warrant for that possible seizure if I remember what John said correctly on Tucker, you know, the warrant was not a warrant. I mean, in criminal procedure in American law, they need to give you a reason why they're going to search your your effects, your property, your personal body and so forth. He said they, they didn't even put a, bother to put a reason down there. That's actually the very definition of the so-called general warrant that the British used to do to the American colonists back in the 1760s and the 1770s. That was the reason the Fourth Amendment was put into place, actually, was literally to make sure that these general warrants didn't happen. So does the rule of law exist right now? I, I to an extent, yes, but it is badly battered. It is badly battered. It is badly bruised. One side certainly believes in it a, a, a hell of a lot more than the other side believes in it. If I can just be very realist and sober about you know, what our friend Dave Reavoy would say about knowing what, what time it is here, I, I, I do think the time is such and the hour in the Republic is sufficiently late that I'm not calling on our own side to become Alinskyites. My, my stance is not that the ends justify the means, period, end of story. That's moral nihilism, and that's not my stance. But what I have been saying for the past couple of years, Lisa, is that our side has to be willing to get its hands dirty 
and have to be willing to to prudentially apply a wider array of means. There are more means that are that should be viewed as legitimate. Not all means, but more means to be viewed as legitimate to secure our own ends, because that's just what it takes at this point. I mean, I think back to this recent Abigail Schreier Substack post. It was a very good one. Abigail basically wrote, quote, in defense of political escalation. So, you know, even if your end goal is a true kind of classical liberalism, live and let live style America, a return to federalism, not necessarily such a bad end goal. But the point is that the pendulum has now swung so far in the other direction, that something more than an appeal to simple neutrality is now called for simply to put the pendulum back somewhere in the middle. And I, I, you know, I think that at least for me, that's kind of the definition of knowing what time it is right now. And what are those means? One is, uh, you know, at a, at a political level, look, I, I think our governor is a great example. I mean, I think Governor DeSantis is probably the, He's the best top preeminent current elected official that I can think of who I think grasps these stakes currently happening. So when he punished the Walt Disney Company for speaking out on behalf of sexualizing young innocent children, of grooming them, of opposing his very commonsensical education bill, what, what, what he was doing was taking an act to punish a political enemy within the confines of the rule of law by removing from them an extra legal tax bonus. And it's going to take some sort of actual tit for tat like that of actually kind of boosting our own side, using the tax code to kind of reward Christian groups, Orthodox Jewish groups to to reward our political friends and to actually punish our political enemies. Now, again, to the extent that that is mimicking the left, I, I, I basically fail to see another way out of it. Again, this is where the virtue of prudence comes in. We, we're not going to stoop to their level. We have to, we have to do this prudentially and tactfully. But we have to get our hands a little dirty, honestly. And I, and, I, and I really do think that Governor DeSantis actually appreciates that. Well, and I think this is, you know, obviously all the intention of the left to, to break down the rule of law. We live in a borderless country as well, getting rid of the, the southern border as well, eliminating that and really eliminating any boundaries, eliminating the truth. Right. Little boys can be girls. Girls can be. Bo- right. It's it's just this destruction of any sort of boundaries in life, any sort of black and light, any sort of black and white in life, because if you live in the gray area, makes room for chaos, makes room for them to try to insert control, make right. They're, they're trying to sort of erode, like what's wrong and right, in just the basic terms and in all aspects of life. Totally. Look, I had, I had a very smart friend text me this afternoon. Actually, so there was this remarkable exchange between Senator Josh Hawley in Missouri and this far left law professor at Cal Berkeley, where she was she was basically calling Senator Hawley transphobic because he said that men cannot get pregnant. And, you know, what my what my friend texted me was a few things. But the relevant quote, is he said, quote, how do we go forward in a country where a large percentage of the population believes that men can get pregnant? I don't know that I have a good answer to that, Lisa. I'm sorry to, to disappoint the listeners. I, I'm really not sure that I have a good answer to that because we're not here disagreeing about capital gains tax rates. We're not disagreeing, you know, about whether marijuana should be legalized or, or, or anything like that. We're disagreeing here about the literal building block of civilization, going back to the book of Genesis, you know, in God's image, he created man and woman, Genesis 1.27. This is literally the civilizational building block of all building blocks. And, you know, in in kind of a scary way, 
it does make me recall, you know, my high school and college readings about kind of the lead up to the Civil War. I'm not, I'm not predicting that we're heading towards that dark road. And in fact, I pray that we are not. But back then, they similarly disagreed on a civilizational building block issue, which was, is the black man and black women, obviously, are these human beings, are these gods, creatures worthy of protection and dignity under the rule of law? That's very similar, honestly, to the disagreement that I watched between Senator Hawley and this crazy, crazy Cal Berkeley law professor. So it is scary, and I, I, and I don't know that I have a, a panacea. I don't, I don't have a one-size-fits-all solution here, but what, one thing that I do know is that I'm really, really happy to be engaged in this fight from the state of Florida, which obviously is looking redder than it's ever been, where we have a truly dynam- dynamic governor who I think really gets it. Well, you know— that, that's such a good point about just the, the building blocks. I mean, I, I, I pray I, I still think we have a window of opportunity in the country with this upcoming midterm elections as well as the 2024 presidential elections. And, and not even just on the federal level, but even with the states, with your local legislatures, even your DAs. I mean, we saw what an important position that is with just George Soros getting these really liberal and progressive uh, prosecutors in place who, who aren't prosecuting. And then we've seen what that's led to with crime. So even those positions are really, or even during the 2020 elections, we saw the importance of, uh, you know, your secretary is of state and, you know, the importance of some of these uh, last minute changes of the rules and, you know, with the elections in terms of mail and ballot. So all of these positions matter. All of it matters. And, and I still think we have a window of opportunity, but I, I don't think we're that far away personally from a, a Democrat president saying, you know, the heck with it. I, I'm not stepping down and, and trying to stick around for a third term. Like, I, I don't like I think the window of opportunity is still here to, to write the ship. But I, I think that's ahead of us if we don't, to be honest. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's crazy at all. I mean, what's funny is if you go back to the 2016 presidential election, you know, I don't have polling right in front of me right now as, as, we're, as we're recording this, but a very, very high percentage of Democrats in 2016 said that, said that the 2016 presidential election was illegitimate. I mean, you know, it was stolen by Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation. I mean, you know this, Lisa. But it, I, again, I don't have the exact percentage, but it was very high. I think it was like 30 to 40 percent or something like that. And that's, what just, that's just what makes the media's intense focus on the 2020 election which literally did happen a, amidst a once a century, maybe once every two centuries level, you know, crazy pandemic lockdowns where these new voting rules, the mail on ballots, the drop boxes, when all that was put into place, even still, after all of that, I think the percentage of Republicans who questioned the fairness of the 2020 election was probably pretty similar to the percentage of Democrats who questioned the 2016 election when there was zero basis, literally zero basis for actually doubting the the actual legitimacy of that particular outcome and, and the election of President Donald Trump. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I definitely do not think that we are particularly far away from that. I, I think a little bit, actually, about the nation of Hungary, which is a small country in, in Central Europe. I was actually there in February. And, you know, Prime Minister Orban is a very conservative guy. He just won his fourth election in April. I think it's his fourth, third or fourth. I think it's his fourth. But regardless, the, the Western press, the New York Times, CNN, they really despise Viktor Orban. And the, the phrase that you always hear kind of trotted out whenever they talk about the nation of Hungary is that there's, quote unquote, democratic backsliding going on there. It's lowercase d, democratic, democratic backsliding. 
And, you know, tell me how it's Democratic backsliding when the people of a country vote for a certain candidate. Right. But uh, tell me how it's Democratic backsliding here in the U.S. when the Dobbs case, which overrules Roe versus Wade, actually just democratizes the issue of abortion. It literally puts it back into the state legislatures, back to we the people where it belo- where, you know, where it should have been all along. But all these t- things together make sense, Lisa, when you realize that when the left says our democracy or democratic backsliding, they don't give a you know what about actual democracy. Again, all they care about right now is subjugating us, of boosting their own people and subjugating us. So therefore, when they win, it's a victory for democracy. When they lose, it's a loss for democracy. It's a, it's a total charade, obviously. But, uh, you know, the silver lining is as, as we look to midterm polling this fall, I, I think the American people are increasingly starting to kind of see through their various lies. I hope so. And, and you, we see that with Ukraine as well, right? We've got all these issues back here at home. Inflation is severely hurting people. Gas prices are severely hurting people, all you know, designed by this White House. But you've got all these issues, yet the foc- <laughs> there's this intense focus on Ukraine and sending money to them without any sort of accounting or transparency uh, about how it's being spent. Totally. I mean, I, the final tally for this recent, oh gosh, what was it? It was like a 40 to $50 billion dollar uh, one-time aid boondoggle and, and truly a boondoggle. I mean, the kind of classic bill that Congress passed in like a marathon overnight session where no one had time to read it. Um, yeah, I, I think the final tally for the number of Republican senators who voted against it was like 12, right? Like 12 or 13. And this is the problem at its core, right? Um, is there are so many Republicans even still who aren't necessarily at their core conservatives skeptical of absorption by the neoliberal empire, but who themselves are kind of members of effectively the uniparty regime, uh, who, are, who are members of this of, of this club, this Capitol Hill club, really not necessarily limited to Capitol Hill. I mean, a Capitol Hill, Wall Street, Silicon Valley club, it's really just kind of an upper crust, elite, professional, managerial class club that views things like Ukraine as a proxy to secure various other interests. So Ukraine in particular is very interesting. They had a revolution in 2014. It's unclear, frankly, how involved Western powers, including our own CIA and FBI, were involved in fomenting that revolution. It was called the Maidan Revolution. But the aftermath, regardless of who was involved, it was in the aftermath of the 2014 revolution, a ton of Western money, a ton of Western NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and Soros money and things like that flooded into Ukraine. So, you know, something that I've been pointing out and some of our other friends have been pointing out ever since this conflict got started is beware of ulterior motives. Always, always, always beware of ulterior motives for unnecessarily prolonging or even instigating a conflict. And unfortunately, that's what we've seen a lot in Ukraine. But I, the silver lining, again, is those, those Republican senators who did dissent to that vote, whatever number it was, 12 or 13, ought to be applauded. And I think that we should try to boost them to the extent that we can. Quick break. More with Josh. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh, my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. 
Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I wanted to run my idea by you. So basically, I'm on a flight a couple of days ago, just popped into my head. I tweeted it out. This happens frequently, probably gets me in trouble. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I'm thinking and I was thinking about the fact that we really need. So we've got 23 states, red states, Republican states with trifectas, meaning they control the state house. They control the, st- the state Senate. They control the governorship. And I, I truly believe that these conservative states need to form a coalition much like what we see in Congress and the House with the Freedom Caucus, what say you? I love it, Lisa. I mean, I was I I, I retweeted the crap out of that tweet, if I recall. Um, I mean, I would like to see our governor be the chairman of of that kind of caucus of ca- caucus of governors who know what time it is. You might you you might say, but there's plenty of other governors out there too. I mean, you know, you and I, as Politico has recently noted. We're at this recent confab that Governor DeSantis convened in Fort Lauderdale, where we met some other governors. I, I, I think, you know, Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma, Kim Reynolds of Iowa, both of them were there. They both seem to truly get it. So, you know, I, I think that has to be the path forward. I think part of knowing what time it is and part of using kind of a wider array of tactics at the state level means that we need to start kind of trading ideas, probably even kind of trading personnel, honestly. I mean, we, we, you know, we probably should get some donors on our side to start funding some more flights for people in various state capitals to kind of just start exchanging ideas. And again, I, you and I are both praying that this does not ultimately end in conflict. And I, and I, and I, still, re, I still remain cautiously hopeful that it won't, to be clear, despite all, all that I was saying about the civilizational building box. But in order to really just forestall that, again, the, what has to happen now, what has to happen now at, at a granular level at, and, and in Washington and just across the country is to realign the pendulum, is to use more tactics to get that pendulum, which has swung so far to the left because of the left's now century-long march through all the institutions. We need to realign the pendulum and get a 
aligned straight down the middle or at least much closer to that. And that's going to mean harder governors resisting imperious, heavy-handed, democratic Washington presidential rule from Biden or whoever will replace Biden, right? Or if, if God forbid, there is another Democratic president, and obviously I pray that there is not. But it really should mean that more governors are going to have to band together. And obviously our governor in Tallahassee is really uniquely positioned, of course, to read that coalition. But that's also how it's supposed to be, right? Like America was never supposed to be this vision of this massive centralized government. I mean, this is not how it's supposed to be. We are so far from what America was supposed to be. So it's really just getting back to the basics by, you know, putting states in charge. So, I I mean, you know, I think it's just a a realignment of the actual vision for America as intended. But I I wanted to play this clip real quick uh, of Joe Biden. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. So obviously we his Ron Burgundy moment, uh, you know, everyone remembers an anchor man where he was literally I'm Ron Burgundy reading exactly what's on the transcript. And then they said in the uh, in the uh, I'm forget I should know this because I, I work in television. But uh, but they, they're like, you know, that Burgundy is going to read whatever's on the screen. I mean, that's Joe Biden. But we, we've got like even the New York Times is now starting to pile on Joe Biden. Uh, Peter Baker, I'm sure you wrote read it over the weekend, talking about the reality is that managing the schedule of the oldest president in American history presents distinct challenges. Going on to say that he often shuffles when he walks and aides worry he will trip on a wire. He stumbles over word words during public events and they hold his breath to see if he will make it to the end without a gaffe. Obviously, we saw this coming. The media intentionally hit him in the basement during the 2020 election. His campaign intentionally hit him in the basement. But, you know, to borrow a word from or a phrase from the left, are the walls finally closing in for Biden? When the New York Times, which is really the organ of the Democratic Party establishment, the unofficial organ, when they are running a major, major story that effectively says that Joe Biden has no idea what's going on in his own administration, that his own his own aides are waiting to see if he can finish a given sentence without making a gaffe, that people are kind of stepping on, you know, they're watching his steps to make sure he doesn't trip over the White House or whatever. It's really, really bad. I mean, it is really, really bad out there. I mean, I can't really say it a whole lot better than the way that you said it on Fox recently, where you said that Joe Biden sucks. Uh, Joe Biden sucks. I mean, he is just really, really, really bad at this. And that's why he has the lowest approval ratings at this juncture of a presidency in the history of presidential opinion polling, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's, he's literally rocking like a 33 or 35 percent approval rating in a bunch of these polls now. So when the, when the New York Times is coming out against him, the New York Times also had a separate article where they cited this one poll. This is really incredible. Apparently, 94 percent of Democrats under the age of 30, 94 percent do not want Joe Biden to run for president again in 2024. That, that is just incredible stuff, honestly. I mean, I have to imagine that is beyond unprecedented for the for the young members of one political party to so vehemently oppose their own party's president who is sitting in the White House in office there. So we've seen a bunch of other outlets run similar pieces, NBC News, Politico, a bunch of these other outlets now have run just a, a, a really large sample size at this point of pieces that show just a very chaotic, 
White House, a very chaotic vice president's staff. I mean, Vice President Harris might be the only person in D.C. less popular than President Biden, right? I mean, her staff, the turnover there is just incredible. I mean, apparently she can't keep anyone on on payroll for more than two or three months at a time before they just get too tired of her and have have to bail. So I do read this as the liberal establishment bailing on Joe Biden. And, you know, if I had to make a prediction, I, I do predict that he will not be the 2024 nominee because you're really just seeing just everything kind of ganging up that all this tension is about to explode. That tension will be even more obvious, by the way, once they get blown out in this November's midterm elections. Even Kamala Harris, when she was on TV recently, right, they asked her, was like, are you going to run for or, you know, they said, is Biden running for reelection? And she was like, yeah, he's he's intending to run for election. And if he does, I intend to be his vice president. I mean, that's lawyerly language if I've ever heard it. So I think the cat is pretty much out of the bag at this point. I I do not think that he's going to run for election personally. Well, and you got Joe Biden comparing Latinos to tacos. It's like, it's like, so it's all, it's like just, it's like Veep, right? It's just all, but to, to Josh's point, so funny. So after, uh, you know, I was on Sean Hannity not too long ago and Jason Chaffetz at the end, we had some seconds to burn. So he just asked me, you know, what would you say to Joe Biden if you got a chance to talk to him? And I said, I would tell him he sucks. He should resign and he's intentionally ruined his country. And then my mom texted me afterwards and she was like, oh, my gosh, Lisa, you don't have to always say exactly what's on your mind. <laughs> but, you know, we'll just uh, we'll just continue to do it and see where it goes. But uh, anything else, it leave us with some hope before we go, my friend. So there is hope. I mean, there's always hope, of course. So one thing that I'm I've been particularly hopeful at recently, there's 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 some new data. I mean, you know, the census and in 2020, we now have basically all the data from that. A few things kind of give me hope. The Wall Street Journal recently did a big article on this. It shows that red states are recovering from the pandemic much more rapidly and much more fully than blue states are. So since February 2020, since you know, around the time the pandemic started, red states have gained uh, you know, three to 400,000 jobs, something like that. Blue states have net lost over a million. And similarly, another Wall Street Journal article that I read recently, it was kind of a long article about the city of Miami, where you and I both live. And they had these charts that showed the states that have gained and lost the most taxable income over the past three years, I think since 2019. All five of the states that gained the most taxable income, so you know, translation that where you know the, the, the you know all the people moved to basically who had the the money they were all red states or at least kind of purple states so the five it was Florida was by far number one I think Texas was number two and then the other three were Arizona and both Carolinas North and South and the five states that lost the most taxable income over the past three years surprise surprise they're all blue states. California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, and the last one's either like Connecticut or Maryland. I mean, this is just, it's so predictable the way that this is sorting out right now. And again, my, my cause for hope, similar to my cause for hope for the midterm elections this fall, is that the American people are just sick of the left's nonsense. They're sick of the lockdowns, the authoritarian Rahm Emanuel itch. They're sick of overtaxation. They're sick of inflation. They're obviously sick of the nonsense like this Cal Berkeley law professor telling Senator Hawley that he's transphobic because he doesn't believe that men can get pregnant. They're just sick of the BS. I don't know if I can actually say the word BS on air, but they're just sick of the total. You right, can, they're just, if you'd like. If it makes you feel better, yeah, get it I mean, out. They're just sick of the bullshit, Lisa. They are truly just sick of the bullshit. 
And I, I, it, you're now seeing that in like the actual migra- migratory patterns, the migration waves, the taxable income moving across state borders. So that gives me real hope, actually. That gives me real cause for optimism. And especially being here in Florida, like we said at the beginning of the conversation, to bring it all full circle, it's really hard to not just look out your window at, this, at the sunshine, the no state income tax. Governor DeSantis, I mean, I wake up and go to sleep every day and every night here just being happy. So there's always cause for hope. That's for sure. There always is. Josh Hammer, all around good guy, my friend, also the Newsweek opinion editor, but not a lefty and host of the Josh Hammer show. Check him out. Josh, I appreciate your time and I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon, Lisa. Take care. good friend of mine i I think he's a a brilliant guy so it's just really interesting to have him on the show get his perspective i appreciate his time and i appreciate you guys at home for listening every monday and thursday the truth with lisa booth i want to thank my executive producer john cassio for putting the show together please leave us a review go to apple leave us you know five stars leave us a review let us know what you think of the show Uh, and you can find me on social media at lisa marie booth on both facebook twitter and instagram From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s, dance away with hip-hop beats, and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.